Psychologically tall. I'm talking about ethics. You you patented it, then packaged it, slapped it on a plastic lunchbox, and now sell it. You want to sell it well. The same. <laughs> I'm Woody. Howdy, howdy, howdy. They'll soon be back and in greater numbers. Any friend of Olive's is a friend of our daughter. I am really close on this one. Really, really close. Let's watch my favorite part again. Shall we? Hi, I'm Daniel. And I'm Amanda. And welcome back to Scenes from a Marriage, a movie podcast in which we, as a married couple, watch movies and talk about them and give our unique perspectives. And it's been a while <laughs> for our regular listeners. <laughs> Sorry, listeners. <laughs> you might have thought that we dropped off the face of the earth and because just we decided did. to stop doing podcasts, which maybe would have made everyone happy. I don't know. But, That's so sad. Uh, unfortunately, we have been holed up in our home for the past, what, like three weeks, something like that? Yeah, probably three. Well, at least like two and a half weeks, maybe. A span of at least two and a half weeks where neither of us, or at no point did both of us feel well enough to actually record. We had the COVID. We had it. It, it, yeah. it It's hit home. <laughs> Just put it out there. It was rough. Everyone stay safe out there. Yeah. North Carolina numbers are up. Uh, we are among the, thankfully not the uh, casualties, but uh, it did uh, did just finish a run. Uh, Amanda, glad that you are now feeling well enough to be back on mic. Yep. Since yesterday, actually. Yep. <laughs> it's good to be back. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. <laughs> you got to get that get that radio voice going, you know. Back to you, Dan. This is new again. <laughs> Just kidding. And Amanda in sports. No. <laughs> no. So we're glad to be back with you. And the um, you know, we we spend a lot of time actually on the couch, as you can imagine, as one <laughs> normally does when one is ill. Binge so many new shows. Queen's Gambit. <laughs> that was Queen's Gambit on one. Netflix. I was going to ask you, you know, get, give a give a rundown of all the things you've been yeah, watching um, in your COVID viewing. All of Upload on Amazon Prime. Uh, I started watching One Tree Hill for the first time. Couldn't super get into that because, you know, sports, not super into it. Because of all the pop songs. Yeah. <laughs> all the great pop songs. What else did I watch? Um, I heard some Dashboard on the soundtrack. Yes. <laughs> oh, I finished Gossip Girl while you were sick. Yay! Everyone watch Gossip Girl. Actually, I'm probably like the last one in the world to watch it. That's not true. They say you have to finish Gossip Girl when you start it. <laughs> um, what else? Oh, The Boys. Oh, yeah. We both started watching The Boys. That's our new show. Addicted to The Boys. Um, what else? Was there anything else? I don't know. Well, we, I mean, we finished. Oh, I started watching. Kimmy Schmidt. Yeah, yep. Yeah, Kimmy Schmidt. Um, I thought we finished another show. Oh, and we watched X-Files, but that's a regular. That's ongoing. Yeah. And um, I started watching Revenge. Um, Which I never heard of. Hulu. I'm not familiar with. That, I think that's an old one, but Is I it? mean, yeah, there's, uh, I think you it was. posted it up on Hulu. Probably after Gossip Girl times, but yeah, I was uh Check that one out. It's it's. What I, kind of a show is Revenge? Just give me. I, cause I've, this is one of the few that you've watched that I haven't actually seen anything of. Eh, 
I mean, it's probably just, it's kind of like one of those like one tree. Well, not exactly. She's, she's, uh, is it soapy? Is it? Yeah. More of a- yeah. It's like that drama. Um, what's her name? The girl from the resident. Uh, she has blonde hair. I can't remember. Wow. I'm blanking on her name. Anyway, it's, resident. it's okay. I might not hang with it for a while. Cause you know, now I have to go back to normal life tomorrow. <sighs> Well, yeah, we'll see. Well, I'm sure we'll. I'm sure we'll keep going with the boys. Yes, the boys and X Files naturally. Yeah, and uh, maybe Schitt's Creek. Mm. All you out there that love it. We've had like another couple of conversations. I feel like since the last time we talked about this on air, it happens all like it's like a daily conversation. Yeah. Of- uh, well, I think I posted about it on Facebook, and I think a couple people were trying to to pity me for. Not getting the humor, but what can I say? Kimmy is so much more funny. Kimmy Schmidt, so much better. Anyway, better it's definitely options. a lot more laughs. I'll, I'll give it that. Yeah, many so, laughs per minute. So yeah, we've been doing a lot of a lot of TV watching and a few movies here, but of course we can't uh, we can't do a podcast for everything. And we but we did watch uh, a couple of movies that we're going to be talking about this week and next. The theme that we developed was. We're going to talk about uh, two movies that, uh, specifically comedies, that we didn't like the first time that we saw them. So I wonder if that's appropriate for the all of the, the Schitt's Creek uh, thing. If we, maybe, if, maybe if we got all the way through it and then started yeah. it again from the beginning, it would be a revelation. But Sounds exhausting. It, it sounds, yeah. I do. <laughs> I'm not suggesting These we're going to do that. These are movies we've been talking about. Yeah. Are we, and do we want to go ahead and just give the pairing so that we can discuss it if it comes up? Yeah, I think so. I think that could be fun. Okay, we'll, so we'll try not to talk about the other movie as much. As but. much. So we ended up, this week, we were talking about The Big Lebowski. And next week, we're going to do Napoleon Dynamite. So these were both movies that, at least for one of us, uh, in your case. No, both of us. For both, well, yeah, both, both of them. them. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe didn't get the appeal the first time. Yeah, it took a little bit to get back into it. And... I think these movies ended up maybe having a little bit more in common than I expected when we first set out to to do them. Or maybe it's just that when you're looking for it, you you know notice uh, the similarities, the, the connections. Yeah. But um, this is maybe something that maybe there weren't a lot of choices available to us under this banner because usually if you don't like something the first time, you're not going to go back and watch it again, probably. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if you're going to do that, then there's, it's usually, I think, because there's a need to reevaluate, you know, you, based on the fact that maybe it's considered a classic or it's won an award or maybe all your friends just like it. And so they keep telling you about it or your husband tells you to. Tells me to, to watch the movies it. that he loves. Yeah. Well, actually, you came to me on this one and said, hey, let's watch the Big Lebowski. Oh, that's, well, because it's because you quote this a lot you you quote a lot of different movies and i just like to be able to watch all the movies that you quote so i can name that quote instead of saying (laughs) what are you quoting or are you quoting yourself so that's real that's really why i wanted to watch it just so i could call you out on your quotes and the quotes are central because that's actually just what i was getting at which is that pretty much the whole reason that i came back and decided to give lebowski another try is because the the quotes 
are so pervasive. They're so ubiquitous on the internet and in in discussion about pop culture, writing about pop culture. Memes. (laughs) Memes. Absolutely. I and now I can get the memes. That's why I like to watch movies so I can get the memes and and Shit's Creek. Now I get the meme. Just kidding. <laughs> I mean, have you seen the meme with uh, the meme format with Walter where he's pointing the gun and he's saying, "Am I the only one around here who gives a bleep about the rules?" Not offhand, I can't think of it, but I'm sure now I will see a lot of them. Now, if you see it, you'll know. Oh no! But there's like I said, there's there's just so many of these quotes and uh, just. Well, as I was thinking about the movie and just trying to kind of figure out what I was you know, going to say about it, I just started to make a list of the quotes and I, I didn't look up anything. It just all from memory. I just started writing them down to think, okay, what are the, you know, just how many like memorable uh, little tidbits. And how are many there? did you come up with? I have like 18 or 20. I'm actually not surprised because everyone, Daniel quotes everything always. So I'm, I'm very impressed with your memory. <laughs> now we are going to try not to put the explicit tag on this podcast yes and this is a movie with a famously large number of f-words yes. <laughs> in the dialogue it's gonna be a little bit hard to to do that but i would try to censor uh the quotes but just a few that uh that we that I came down uh that i wrote down and this maybe this actually might be the one that the most people use most often and that really sums up i think what people kind of take from this movie but it's the dude saying yeah, well, that's just like, you know, your opinion, man. <laughs> but then I, I kept going, you know, nobody S with the Jesus. Shut the F up, Donnie. That rug really tied the room together. Do you see what happens, Larry? <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens when you have a <laughs> That was my favorite quote, actually. Jackie Treehorn treats objects like women, man. Maud saying, don't be fatuous, Jeffrey. I love that. I don't know. Yeah. Um, uh, nihilist the dude's talking or uh, J- uh, Walter's talking about the nihilist he says I mean say what you want about the tenets of national socialism dude at least it's an ethos this is the kind of just like throwaway stuff that uh, is this your homework Larry I'm kidding <laughs> <laughs> this is my homework <laughs> <laughs> that's your homework yeah uh, careful man there's a beverage here but I could just go on and on with these quotes so that, that's not even all the ones I wrote down but mm. the, the script is so quotable it's so memorable and it's so idiosyncratic and so full of just characters that have this this real life to them. Mm-hmm. And so I think only, you know, only the Coen brothers could have written this script. It's a Joel and Ethan Coen joint. Uh, they of Oh Brother Where Art Thou fame and Fargo. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, this is one that falls somewhere between the zany homespun humor of Raising Arizona and the labyrinthine gangster plotting of Miller's Crossing. Wait, wait let, me, let me explain something to you. Um, I am not Mr. Lebowski. I'm the dude, you know? Uh, that or uh, his dudeness or uh, duder or, uh, you know, El Duderino, if you're not into the whole brevity thing. Are you employed, Mr. Lebowski? Ah! Employed? You like sex, Mr. Lebowski. Is this your only ID? You got the wrong guy. I'm the dude. Your name's Lebowski, Lebowski. Jeff Lebowski, the other Lebowski, the millionaire. I received this ransom note this morning. This is a bummer, man. They want you to take the money and act his courier. Why man? What the hell is this? My dirty undies, dude. The whites. Let's take that hell! Why should we settle for 20 grand when we can keep the entire million? 
I know you're mixed up in all this. Playing one side against the other in bed with everybody. Law them. Huh? Fabulous stuff. What? Who's sitting on a million dollars? We want some money. Ah! Sitting in the trunk of our car. Where's my damn money? Say, dude, where is your car? Who's got your undies, Walter? This is a very complicated case, Maud. You know, a lot of ins, a lot of outs. Is this your homework, Larry? And I would like my undies back. A lot of uh, strands to keep in my head, man. Whoa! Hey, careful, man. There's a beverage here, huh? I like your style, dude. I have no choice but to tell these bums to do whatever is necessary to recover their money from you. They were Nazis, dude? They were nihilists, man. They kept saying they believed in nothing. And just just as long as we're talking about this the script, because I think this is one thing that puts people off at first, and we'll see, at least in my case, it was. Mm-hmm. I started watching this movie, and it was just like, F, F, F. Like the, you know, yeah, the, the, it was, was kind of cringy, like the just hearing the curse words. But then once you get into it, I, I mean, I appreciate the humor and yeah. But I think it can be really grating at first. Mm-hmm. Especially if you, you know, you're seeing characters like Walter who are so big and loud and mm-hmm. kind of, mm-hmm. like, I think it can be a lot to take in at, at once. Right. And in some ways, the, the and this, is, this came out in 1998, so it's the tail end of the 90s. The 90s were dominated by attempts to recreate the foul mouth successes of indie giants like Pulp Fiction and like Clerks. Mm-hmm. But... There are hundreds of writers and filmmakers that tried and failed to be Quentin Tarantino, to be David Mamet, or even to be Kevin Smith, which is kind of a low bar. But the this is this is not one of those movies. Uh, this is a really original, I, I think, creation uh, by by the Coens. And so, if you if you're just looking at the number of f words, you might say, "Oh, this is a this is a Tarantino clone," hmm. um, but. Uh, and it, and it's funny because they call that out in the movie. The Sam Elliott's character asked the dude, "Oh, Do you that's have right, to use yeah." So many cuss words. Mm-hmm. And Lebowski thinks for a second, and he's just like, "The f do you mean?" <laughs> you <know? laughs> um, but I think this is something a lot more humane than a lot of the other movies that are in this uh, this vein. So we'll talk more about that. But first, I want to uh, to ask you. So what uh, what was your experience with this initially? And, uh, you know, what, I guess we'll start there. What, where did, where did you, uh, where did you first see the movie or first start to see it? Yeah. Well, I think it was, it was probably around, it was probably early college, uh, time. And it was like one of my, I think I tried to watch it with one of the people that I was dating at the time. And I, I don't know, it just, it started off weird and it, it, it was just weird and kind of, it seemed kind of boring and it was probably because of Sam Elliott's voice. And I was just like, what is, what is this? Like some, some country. Vo- I don't know. I, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't get into it and in like the tumbleweed and I honestly didn't get very far. And I think I'd heard a lot about it and it was a big thing and I just didn't understand it. And I, I just didn't give it a chance. So, and then when I learned that you liked it, then of course, you know, you being my husband, it means more for me to watch the movie and understand it since you like it. So, 
Uh, and that honestly a little bit similar to my own experience. Cause I remember I, uh, I was at in college at Liberty and I had gone over to one of my friend's dorms and I don't know if I'll get Harrison to listen to this, but he'll appreciate this if he, if he does. Uh-huh. Uh, one of the, the ritzy kids that lived on the, on the East campus, but, um, it, I think he just wanted, I think we were just hanging out. We wanted, I wanted to watch a movie that I hadn't seen. He had The Big Lebowski. So we put it on. Risque. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Which, until I think about it, I probably could have got 50 reps from uh, from Liberty for watching this 50 movie. 50 reps? Yeah, reprimands. Oh, oh, sorry. Okay. I didn't know if you had to like drop for, and give them 50. No, no. 50. If you're watching an R-rated okay. movie, it's a problem. Oh, wow. Okay. But. Yeah, I think like we got about to the point where, and there's a couple of these scenes actually, but about to the point where the dude is like flying over the city. Yeah, you know? that's pretty far into it, I feel like, wasn't it? Or no? There's a couple of those moments. There are a lot of those moments. Uh, and yeah, I think like you, I was like, okay, this is, uh, the dialogue's rough. Like there's just a lot, of, a lot of cursing, a lot of yelling. And um, I, wasn't, I wasn't laughing. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, where, you know, where's the funny? Where's the, where's the jokes? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that watching more movies kind of similar to that, or maybe watching a lot of the Quentin Tarantino movies and some of the Coen Brothers movies, I was able to appreciate it more the second time. And also because I'm much older and not, I am more desensitized to things, which is probably (laughs) sad, but I appreciated the humor more because sometimes my humor can be kind of crude. Oops. Well, but... Again, there's a there's a big difference between somebody who's trying to use, uh, you know, blue language or whatever it is mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, to give to give emphasis to a script that otherwise lacks it, mm-hmm. or to give to try to give uh, style or edginess to something that you know you you're using it as as a crutch, and then there's the movies that really made an impression again like. Uh, Pulp Fiction or, you know, some of earlier Tarantino stuff is, you know, it's all, there's almost a poetry to it. It might be a vulgar poetry, but it's a poetry nonetheless. And I, I remember specifically, cause I didn't, I didn't really understand Pulp Fiction the first time I watched it either. Yeah. And I remember uh, reading, cause I was reading some reviews on it, trying to see, you know, what did I miss? What do people really see in this that I don't, I don't see into it. And I think, you know, one of the things that uh, Ebert's review said was just, he's like, it's fun to listen to these people talk. And I hadn't really thought about that because, again, yeah. there was so much. There's so much kind of lyricism behind, um, you know, behind the four-letter words, and the way that they're strung together. And I, again, I really do want to talk more about the way the dialogue is constructed in this movie because I think that's one of its its major uh, virtues. But yeah, and actually, now that I mean, now that you're talking about how the characters, I mean, like their dialogue, but more so for me, like I enjoyed watching the dude because his character is so unlike anything that I could possibly ever be because he just does not care about anything. And I mean, he even says what he says. He's a low life or he's like, what did, what does he say? You, you think I'm a nobody or something like that. Oh, I mean, he gets called. Yeah. You know, a, or a, a loser, a loser, a deadbeat or yeah, you know. deadbeat, which I mean, and he owns up to, he's like, well, yeah. <laughs> and I just thought that was so funny. Because, (laughs) and like, he just has no aspirations. He's, you know, just living life and he doesn't have a job or anything. And it's just so funny to watch somebody like that. 
And and it's more like interesting to me because I'm like, oh, that's how somebody would live like that, which kind of sounds bad. But I mean, I wish that I was more laid back like that, but I don't know if I could ever just not care about things like that. Show me how to get this laid back or I'll kill your family. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, uh, and there's there's actually been a perhaps somewhat satirical like philosophy or religion called dudism where which is kind of it's kind of like you know an eastern sort of you know taoism or whatever this but basically people you know looking up to the dude not so much maybe because of his standard of living but his you know ability to remain detached to roll with the punches to go with the flow you know his uh, quote near the end of the movie the dude abides has become something that people have really kind of latched onto as, you know, it's a, it's a way of, you know, not so much about doing, but about being. And so I think that's, that's a, an idea that despite all of the, you know, the slacker uh, hippie stuff, um, people have said, well, maybe there's something to, maybe the dude has knows something that the rest of us don't know. But like, why does he call himself the dude? Does he explain it? Cause I, I'm just like, why does he go by the dude? Is it because somebody else's name uh, is Lebowski? Or he just, he's so carefree that he's just the dude? I guess. I don't know if it's just, if it's an emblematic name. I know that he is based in part on someone that the Coens know in real life, a guy named Jeff Dowd. And so perhaps Uh, Dowd sounds like dude. You know, maybe they just made that quick little, you know. Uh, but so that maybe that's something to do with it, or maybe it's just that the, the word conjures up kind of a chill. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly, a chill slacker, surfer, somebody who's not taking uh, life too seriously. I mean, it definitely does. So, yeah. It's funny. I was just, I was, I told you, I was just rereading the opening narration, uh, before when I was kind of writing my intro and one of the things that the stranger mentions as part of his rambling elliptical narration is he says, the dude is like, that's, that's not a a name that anyone would self apply where I come from. And if you think about like a dude ranch, uh, that's Uh. something that, uh, you know, a dude would be kind of a, um, not not really a, a slur, but it might be you would you would apply it to someone who had kind of sold out in a way, who was uh, you know more of a city slicker and was you know maybe doing tour or tours for um, you know uh, for city people who wanted to come out and get like a, a a country experience versus being like a legit rancher or something. So I thought that was interesting too. That right at the beginning they kind of undercut the dude what in that way and have this guy uh who's not from Los Angeles by any means giving his outsider perspective on Los Angeles and so it's really an, an LA movie as much as it is you know anything else the dude goes up and down the you know the the coast there in LA and visits different areas and so i think it's saying in part something about the you know Los Angeles as well as just creating this character who maybe is in some way at the soul of it yeah mm-hmm. So uh, we're talking about, again, things that we, you know, we didn't care for the movie the first time, or maybe we didn't get all the way through it the first time. Uh, what, uh, what was your impression upon your rewatch and 
in what ways did your opinion maybe change? I mean, the second time watching it, I definitely appreciated it. It kind of it exceeded my expectations in a way that it was just so out there. Like it, I didn't maybe I didn't even have these expectations. I I expected it to be crazy, and so it fulfilled that. But <laughs> it was it was so wacky and I, I just kind of like was along for the ride more so the second time. And so I was able to enjoy it more knowing kind of what I was getting into, but then on the other hand, absolutely not knowing what I was getting into. You mentioned that maybe having seen more different types of movies and things in the interim might have played a part in mm-hmm. your being able to assimilate this more. I mean, and I know we're not going to get into Napoleon Dynamite, but actually watching Napoleon before, because that was a movie that I didn't get in. I mean, the first time after watching it, I was like, what did I just watch? And so maybe having an appreciation for that. And then that's a movie that I quoted a lot, like a lot (laughs) growing up. Everybody was quoting that movie. Yeah, everyone. And so watching movies like that and then also like movies that have scenes where they're on drugs. Like I like the good to, dinosaur. Like the good actually I don't <laughs> even know if I saw that. Did I see that? No, but I remember movies like Across the Universe. There were lots of, I mean, I know that's a musical sure. movie and the Big Lebowski is not, but those scenes were very trippy and that reminded me of the Big Lebowski. And I appreciated that more. I mean, and even like the Yellow Submarine, like with the Beatles. Like that kind of stuff. I think I appreciate the maybe the art in it more and um, just kind of not expecting normal things to happen. And I think if you just get that out, you know, just from the get go, then you can appreciate you can appreciate it more. So, yeah, that's interesting. I think uh, the across the universe is an interesting touch point i definitely think that some of the segments like the i want you she's so heavy segment mm-hmm. or or maybe the mr kite uh part that those could be are intentionally trippy of course to and even thinking well i was i was just thinking like even with uh scott pilgrim uh that movie has some weird stuff in it and if you go into that movie thinking oh this is going to be a normal movie then you're not going to be able to appreciate it as much. Sorry, I was just thinking. Like, no, or think about what we just, because we also just watched Brazil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's another too. movie that goes in and out of dreams and fantasy with some fluidity. Because mm-hmm. if you get caught up on that, then it's hard to enjoy a movie. I mean, like my mom and dad watching Scott Pilgrim and mom said, like, what was that? But just going into a movie knowing that this could get weird. Mm-hmm. It helps. So the the movie is a comedy, and I think one of the things that uh, can be difficult sometimes is hooking into the comedic register that they're playing at because it's not it's not really a joke driven movie. Now there are there are jokes with setups and punchlines, but not a whole lot. Mm-hmm. It's definitely not uh, it's not an airplane or a naked gun or that kind mm-hmm. of a movie. What did you find funny about the film and uh, maybe what uh, what worked or didn't work for you on that? I mean, my favorite 
my favorite scene was when um, Walter went with the dude to find Larry because um, they found his homework in the car. <laughs> <laughs> and so when he uh, completely wrecks his, well, not Larry's car, not the child's car. Um, but I, I thought that was hilarious because I went into it thinking, oh, maybe there is something like maybe he did, you know, lead them to the dude and maybe this kid is mixed up in it. And then you slowly realize that's not that kid's car. And it's hilarious when the guy comes out and he's like, I just bought this car. And that was, that cracked me up like that. Um, even though I, I kind of, I cringe at scenes like that. Mm -hmm. And like, I can relate that to like Ferris Bueller, like when they wreck the car and also in the big Lebowski. You really hate that scene in Ferris Bueller. I, I do. It's just like that car. And I don't know. And <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. I've probably said it's that a nice lot. Car. It's a nice car. I mean, so was, so was the car in the Big Lebowski. But then the opening scene, was it the opening scene where they wrecked uh, the dude's apartment? Well, yeah, they just, they burst right in and yeah. I a, hated that because I was, I mean, because he didn't deserve it. Not like anybody deserves that. But they're like, oh, it's the wrong guy. And they're just like, don't care. And Pete on his rug. Pete on his rug. It really tied the room together. Did it not? <laughs> <laughs> so, like, it's just funny that I thought that that the wrecking the car scene was funny, but then the scene where they wrecked his apartment, I didn't like that because it it's like, well, what is he gonna do? Who's gonna clean up his apartment? Who's gonna, you know? Anyway, but so many great bits because he keeps his apartment keeps getting invaded throughout yeah. the movie. He just doesn't care, though. And it's just so wild to me because, I mean, I know it's a movie and I know it's a set that's being damaged, but still just thinking about someone in their daily life and having to pay for all that damage that they didn't do. But just those great bits where he, he gets so used to people coming into his apartment that he nails this block of wood to the floor <laughs> so that he can prop a chair against it <laughs> and prop it against the, the door. <laughs> The door down. opens outward and the chair just falls. That was great. See, that was funny. So things like that to me, I I really enjoy. Um, and then with uh, how he always has to make a drink. I don't know. There's white Russian. Yeah, the white Russian. There's there's some good things in that, but there's um, and I think just his attitude as it goes on. It's funny to me because things just keep happening, and he's trying to he's trying to do right for Mr. Lebowski and he's you know just trying to be a good guy but then just things keep happening and Walter keeps screwing things up the underwear in the suitcase that was funny to me I think that's a rough thing if you if you have an aversion to that sort of uh humor like things getting destroyed or messed up like Walter is just such Ugh. a wrench in the works mm -hmm. yes that can be that can be difficult to watch and, and it's also funny to me because, you know, sometimes when you watch movies, you see characters and you're like, that reminds me of somebody. And, and the like, longer you live, the more it happens. Yeah. And I'm like, who does that remind me of? And Walter reminds me of my Uncle Jeff. Love him. But he is very confident and he's got a personality and he can. Yeah, let's let's point out <laughs> the, the ways in which. <laughs> Walter and Jeff are similar. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in the ways that, I mean, he's 
very loyal. Like he's very loyal to his friends and he, you know, can become buds with anybody and there's always a story. Yeah. So I just, I thought that it made me enjoy the character of Walter more just because I'm like, whoa, that's like my uncle. But, you know, not in, not in the bad ways, but. Well, sure. But there, <laughs> and all of these characters are caricatures, right? They're big, they're exaggerations yeah. of certain traits in people, mm-hmm. right? And so you probably don't know anybody exactly like Walter. No. Like you say, maybe you know somebody that has, you know, aspects of that character. Mm-hmm. Or uh, And I think, so that is, that's interesting. Um, and I definitely think that Walter, that's one thing that has changed for me a lot as I've watched the movie more over the years, is that Walter becomes much a much more human and sympathetic character. Yeah. The first time you watch it, it's like, okay, here's this guy who's just coming in and bulldozing everything screwing everything up mm-hmm. and not listening to people and just being, you know, really belligerent and all this kind of stuff, uh, thinks he knows everything. Um, but the the more you watch it, or at least maybe it's just me being older and more attuned to these things, but, uh, you know, all of that, it, all that bluster is a, you know, a cover for a very kind of wounded person mm-hmm. uh, who's got this, this real humanity under the surface that he really wants to connect with people in certain ways and wants to be true to his values uh, and so, uh, and, and is you know, he's not the only, or she should just say dude and, and, and like Donnie are not the only ones who are upset with him for, uh, sometimes being a mess of things that he is as well. Uh, and so that's one thing that really comes out, especially as you get towards the end of the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's uh, talking about Walter and, you know, he's portrayed by, uh, John Goodman. And then of course the dude in, uh, you know, uh, Jeff Bridges in a, Really, the performance that kind of defined his career. Uh, I was. Did you have any uh, favorite performances or your thoughts on the uh, on the the acting in the in the film? I mean, uh, I enjoyed both Jeff Bridges and um, what's his face who plays Walter. Um, John Goodman. Yeah, John Goodman. Sorry, you just said that. Um, I enjoyed both of their performances and just they're so contrasting maybe it was fun to see them in the same frame just one trying to be frame like bowling oh wow i did that on purpose (laughs) (laughs) um but to see um the dude just be so chill and then walter be so over the top and it was just interesting to watch them together and I enjoyed watching those scenes the most. Who is your who is your favorite uh characters or performance? There's a relatively deep bench of great actors here. And you know, I, I do think that Bridges is doing something that is, you know, has become pretty timeless. Maybe he maybe he disappears into the role so fully that I'm not even aware of all that he's doing. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it doesn't look like a, it doesn't look like a difficult performance. He's not really giving, um, you know, uh, it's obviously not a showy as like Walter's part, obviously. Um, so I like what he's doing, but there's definitely, um, there's definitely a lot of funny, smaller parts. I especially appreciate Julian Moore as Maud mm-hmm. in the, <laughs> the very like weird transatlantic accent that she's doing, uh, you know, 
she's got a <laughs> just I don't know that, that, that's a really strange character, but I, she she was strange. She and she has like things that she does, and she's just very certain about things. And like <laughs> when they tried to make the baby, well, and she was like in that fetal position or something. That was that was hilarious. That was a funny part. I just love her delivery and, and the little like lilting way that she uh, these lines that she talks about the. This is one of the quotes I wrote down earlier. She's talking about the little Lebowski urban achievers. And she says, I'm proud we are of all of them. Like, <laughs> just like uh, or she, she, you know, she writes the, she writes the dude up per, or not a prescription, but like a recommendation to go see this doctor. Mm-hmm. And she's like, he's a good man and thorough. And then, <laughs> you know, uh, he protests and she says, no, no, I, I insist that you go see him. He's a good man. And thorough. <laughs> it's like, um, I don't know. I, I love her character. And, and you know, you've got, you've got Philip Seymour Hoffman in a small role as Brant, uh, mm-hmm. you know, who's the kind of lackey for uh, the the titular character, the big Lebowski. Mm-hmm. He was, you know, not uh, not our our main Lebowski. And, you, and you've got Peter Stormare from uh, from Fargo, who is one of the nihilists. I think it's funny to see him. But there's a, I think there's a lot of good performances. Well, and a lot of Cohen regulars that show up. Buscemi doesn't get a whole lot to do as Donnie. Oh yeah, he he has a small role. But it's it's an important role, but it's small. Oh, and then of course I can't go without mentioning Sam Elliott. Oh, who yes. at the end of the movie bores into your soul with his eyes, like looking straight into the camera with that giant mustache and uh. that uh, the baritone drawl. It's, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it. Oh man, I, uh, I, it's hard to even know what to make of that character. But I love Elliot in that role so much. Mm-hmm. So strange. Mm-hmm. Which character do you feel like um, developed the most in the movie? Obviously, Donnie. <laughs> no, he didn't. <laughs> no, he didn't. No, uh, he all- changed. He really changed forms. Although you'll notice that um, every time in the movie that he bowls, he bowls a strike, except for the very last time. Oh, no. The world is now askance. It's off its axis. No, I mean, I think. I didn't uh, notice that. But no, I think the, I think the character with the, with the, none of our main characters really change very much. Mm. I think if anything, Walter maybe has the biggest arc. And maybe by the end you see him again, you see more of the soft underbelly um, and you see specifically the friendship between him and the dude that I think that's almost that that dynamic is kind of what develops maybe more than anything else, because they're both trying to help each other in their own way, Mm -hmm. even if they're often shooting past each other, you know, like the, the dude is always trying to get Walter to really be more authentic and to stop catering to his ex-wife and some oh, of the other yeah. things because he has all this stuff where he's like okay i'm you know i'm he's bringing her dog to the mm-hmm. bowling alley he's converted to her religion mm-hmm. even you know I, I don't know there so i think there's a lot of stuff with the the dude trying to help uh kind of trying to help walter and of course walter thinks that he's helping the dude through this uh you know this thing that he's found himself in he's really just ruining everything which reminds me Huh? That we have a recurring segment that we still need to do. What? And that segment is Amanda explains the plot. Wow, we went through all of this. And without... I'm excited about this one because. Oh gosh. I'm well, 
because it's the Big Lebowski and <laughs> the, the plot is all over the place. So I would really be interested to hear uh, how you uh, how you re- recall this or what you think the film was actually about in terms of its through line. <laughs> I too would be interested. Okay, this is going to be very rough, but we'll try it. I, I think we can do it. I believe in you. Uh, okay. The Big Lebowski is about a dude dealing with problems that are not his own and trying to solve those problems in a way that he will not get killed <laughs> or harm others around him. Um, and in the process, he understands that it's all phony and because he's trying to get bunny he he gets mixed up in all of it it's really about the rug though i mean if he had just left the rug alone then he wouldn't have been in that mess and then it's i mean and we didn't even mention the bowling league and the tournament which you know you thought that was going to be a big thing but it turns out it's just a a point where they uh come back and it's just like a place where they talk about what he's going to do. And he, the movie is about him drinking white Russians and, and him, um, trying to just survive. (laughs) This is really hard. Um, and he, um, uh, he tries to keep his friend from getting killed and, um, blowing things up and, um, yeah, I can't. <laughs> so you, I think you, I think you correctly hit on the rug, right? As the nominally the inciting incident, right? Everything's the, about the rug. The dude gets his rug peed on. And it, it's by someone who wasn't even looking for him, right? Mm-hmm. But who were they looking for? The Big Lebowski. The Big Lebowski, right? So the dude tries to get, basically get, tries to get his rug comped by the Big Lebowski. But why were they even looking for him? It, I don't even, I see everything so twisted up. And then the tree horn guy, who even knows what that has to do with or triple horn just kidding did i just add in date night (laughs) well no but but they they come in in the first scene and they say uh where's the money lebowski we know you got it bunny says you're good for it and he's like bunny she says yeah your wife he says this place looks like i'm married the toilet seats up (laughs) so the bunny has told these guys it's all about my my husband has the money to pay Right. Right. But then he really doesn't even have the money because his daughter does not allow him to get into the funds because he's old and he cannot walk. And they tried to make him stand up and he could not. Um, But yeah, so that's what the movie is about. (laughs) Right. So I I was I was keen to see. Well, I was keen to see how how you would construct it. Because it is such a series of red herrings and 
misunderstandings and, you know, double backs. And as he, as, as the dude says, a lot of ins and outs, a lot of what have yous, you know, that's exactly what it was. A lot of, a lot, a lot of things to keep in, in Duder's brain. But, uh, and in fact, I think after we watched it, you, we were talking about like maybe the, the end scene where they confront uh, Lebowski again and he, and Walter tries to prove that he is not a cripple. And I think you asked me, Okay, but but what really did happen? And I've seen the movie, I don't know, maybe five or six times at this point. And I was like, you know what? I'm not really sure. And I think that is absolutely absolutely intentional. It's about the journey. Well, (laughs) (laughs) it is about the journey. It's about the journey in a very specific way that is paying homage to... Um, to film noir, the movie is essentially a um, like a Dashiell Hammett or um, you know kind of a kind of a story going back to the early days of like um, Humphrey Bogart films like um, The Maltese Falcon and in particular The Big Sleep. The Big Sleep, which is uh, a Bogie and Bacall movie directed by Howard Hawks in the forties, uh, is a film that, while it is well-regarded, is also famously incomprehensible. Mm. In fact, I think, I don't even think the writers really knew how it all held together. Like, you watch it and you're like, oh, that was interesting, but wait a minute, what about this? The ultimate Fridge Logic movie, where if you go back and think about it, you're like, it seems okay while you're watching it, but then you realize, wait, some of that stuff didn't make sense. See, this is probably what writers do. They write these movies and... They aren't even, I bet they don't even have any meanings. They just do it just so that they can laugh at people that try to find meaning in all these movies. That's what I think. Well, and I think the Coen brothers specifically are interested in exactly that. Well, not that phenomenon so much, but in meaning and like, does life have it? And how do we find define it and how do we create it? And we, I was asking you earlier, what movies does this remind you of? Mm-hmm. And you said something like movies that seem like they're going one place and then don't go there. Yeah. Like, j- like if you think of a tree and all the branches, it's just, that's what it is. It, it goes off into every single direction that you can't even possibly come up with in your head. You have to be crazy to create it. And I, I specifically the idea of an anticlimax where, you know, you, it doesn't really build to a definitive purpose or, you know, one event that explains everything or resolves everything. And the Coens do this a lot in their movies. I think they're interested in that. Uh, specifically, Burn After Reading. Is oh, probably, yeah. That one was did you watch kind of, that? I did, but it's been a very long time and I just remember it being weird. Yeah. Yeah. And in the end, they're like, what did we learn? It's like, F if I know, right? Like, <laughs> or... You know, in a less comedic vein, a serious man, which, uh, you know, finds a guy basically grappling with the idea of, you know, what does, uh, basically, you know, is God involved in my life? And is he, you know, is he speaking? Is there, you know, is there a purpose to my suffering? Kind of like the book of Job is really kind of what it's mm-hmm. based on. Um, Wasn't but- tr- the movie True Grit kind of... It was more straightforward, or am I not remembering? No, it was much more straightforward, yeah. Yeah, and that's probably why I enjoyed that one more, because I like uh, 
a plot line that it's like here's the beginning and then we work our way through to the ending. Mm -hmm. But there's a proud tradition of detective movies, even going back to Chinatown or The Long Goodbye, uh, that I think um, Lebowski is kind of it's in, in that vein and it's in conversation with those films. And of course there has to be, uh, you know, an almost incomprehensible plot full of red herrings in order to make it that type of a film, that type of a detective movie. It just so happens that the dude is a terrible detective. <laughs> Horrible, <laughs> but a pretty entertaining one. Indeed. Oh, and his car gets completely smashed up. Didn't say anything about that, but that's hilarious. <laughs> okay. Yeah. There is one, bit of trivia I've been holding on to that I thought would be, uh, would be funny to, um, that, uh, they did a, like a TV edit okay. of this movie, mm-hmm. which you can only imagine how much they would have to edit oh, to goodness. be able to show it would on TNT even have or something. A story? <laughs> but there are some famous, um, uh, ways that they were, they re-edited some of the lines, specifically the line that you appreciated, which was, <laughs> Do you see what happens, Larry? Do you see what happens, Larry? And so, uh, do you see what happens, Larry, when you F a stranger in the A? (laughs) (laughs) So what did they say? When it was famously changed to, uh, do you see what happens when you find a stranger in the Alps? What? (laughs) What even? Oh, my goodness. This is what happens, Larry, when you find a stranger in the Alps. That's that's wild. One of the all-time great TV edit. (laughs) Okay. What, what, <laughs> there's probably no point. I was going to say, I was going to ask the question, uh, what do you like better, Credence Clearwater Revival or the Eagles? I'm sorry, dude, the Eagles. Because uh. <laughs> growing up, that's what, that's one of the bands that my parents listened to. Because he obviously wants his Credence tapes back. Yeah. And hates the Eagles. He hates the Eagles. And the cab driver threw him out because of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can't go challenging cab drivers on their music. The Uber driver probably would change it for you. Yeah, they probably would. Kind. They got to get five stars. Yeah. I was going to say, speaking of stars, what's our rating going to be? I will get there. Oh, sorry. No, you yeah. said stars. So yeah, I, I did. I did. Uh, there, were, there were a couple things. Uh, one more things I wanted to hit on. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things when we were talking about the, the humor in the movie mm-hmm. and something that I noticed because we did... We did a movie Monday, which uh, was a thing that I used to do every so often where we get friends together and show, um, you know, either classic movies or just major movies that people ought to have seen at some point. And I do consider The Big Lebowski to be to be one. And one of the things I noticed was how there uh, was a lot of like like slapstick physical humor more than I had remembered. Cause I don't really think of it as that type of movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the part where they, you know, they, they have the, what he calls it a marmot. It looks like a ferret or something. They put it in the water. Oh, yeah, you know, that was to, so random. Like hilarious. Weird. Um, but then there's also, you know, all of the kind of more coy, like dialogue stuff that, um, and I was like, well, okay, there's, there's really some material for different types of people. If you find the marmot to be the funniest thing in the movie, That's then sad. that Sorry. kind of thing shows up for you, you know, at certain points uh-huh. throughout. Um, but if you're if you're more interested in kind of the more subtle character stuff, then there's a lot of that mm-hmm. uh, in there for you. The other thing that I noticed, and I probably should have noticed before, but I noticed a lot this time because I was paying attention to it, was just how often a character starts a sentence and does not finish it. Donnie. Well, Donnie gets interrupted a lot. Poor Donnie. Mm-hmm. 
But I started seeing, once I, I realized it was happening, I started seeing it everywhere. I saw it in Brant. I saw it in the, you know, the Big Lebowski. Uh, you know, Walter would frequently trail off and start saying that. Like, I, and I know that it's written that way. Like, I know the ellipses are in the script that he's like, you know, uh, especially <laughs> talking about the marmot. He's like, uh, and dude, you know, having an amphibious rodent in, like, in city limits, that... That ain't legal either. <laughs> he's, just, he's just like um, he coming up with all this stuff, you know, just pulling it out of his butt, uh, you know, to make it sound like he knows what he's talking about. But I don't know. There's just so many misunderstandings and so many times when someone starts a sentence. Uh, that would be a really interesting, I think, uh, kind of study for somebody who's seen it a few times mm-hmm. and is interested in, you know, to go back and and just watch and like make a, a notch, make a check mark every time somebody starts a sentence and does not finish it. And just see how often it happens throughout the movie, because I'll bet it's a to lot. To make it into a drinking game okay. with white Russians. <laughs> you would die. <laughs> yeah, you probably you, You'd be dead of alcohol poisoning <laughs> before the second act. Uh, I don't know. I just, I just think there's so much depth to the writing and the way that not only is it all the characters not finishing their sentences, but also, um, and this is a very another Cohen trademark, is repeated lines. Like if you think about other Coen Brothers movies. Do you see what movies, happens, Larry? Okay, see what I'll happens? I'll no, no, no. That's, yeah. I mean, that, that's one, right? Mm-hmm. That he repeats over and over again in that scene. Mm-hmm. If you think about other movies like Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Where like... Um, uh, um, I'm a Dapper Dan man. Uh, I can't remember exactly what he says, but yeah. Or, damn, we're in a tight spot. We're in a tight spot. Yeah, we're in a tight spot. Yeah. Uh, they have a... They, they like to do those repeated lines. There's a ton of them in, in Lebowski. But also, there's a lot of times where a character will say something in one scene and then a few scenes later, another character will repeat it to Mm -hmm. someone else. Like for example, in the very first scene of the movie, Mm -hmm. the dude is at the checkout counter and there's a TV on and it's George Bush. And he's saying, he's talking about the, um, like, uh, you know, the, the war Saddam Hussein attacking Kuwait. And he says, uh, this aggression will not stand. And then a few scenes later, when the dude is sitting in front of the Big Lebowski's desk, he says, this will not stand, man. This aggression will not stand. (laughs) Or Maud says to him, in the parlance of our times. And then again, when he's talking to Lebowski in the back of the limo, he says, he tells him, in the parlance of our times. The dude doesn't have an original thought in his head. (gasps) He's constantly just repeating what other people have said. Who started with the rug really tied that room together? Because that's repeated a lot, and it gets funnier every time it's said. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a real feedback chamber happening in the bowling alley, mm-hmm. right? Where, like, Walter and uh-huh. the dude are bouncing yeah. off each other and kind of just intensifying his need to rectify this rug situation. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I didn't notice that. I mean, it being the first time I watched it through, it'd mm-hmm. probably be hard to notice those things. That'll be another one for your notches. But again, uh, a, a deadly drinking game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, so you want to talk stars? Yeah, but what are they going to be? Bowling pins? Could be bowling pins. Could be white Russians. They could, could be, be marmots. <laughs> I get it. Could be things nihilists believe in. Oh, wait, there's none of that. <laughs> <laughs> um, it could be briefcases full of underwear. The whites. Um, But we could do white Russians. That could be fun, right? Sure, why not? Five or uh, out of Out of five white Russians, what would you give the movie? Hmm. Um, I'm going to give it, I'll give it a two and a half just because I enjoyed it, but 
it's not exactly the type of movie that's up my alley. Oh, <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I think I'd give it two and a half. I mean, just because it's crazy, but it, but it's still good. It's still enjoyable. I don't know if I would watch it again, but maybe I would watch it again just to understand it more. So I'll over the that. line, market of five. What? No! <laughs> He's got his finger gun up. Everyone, you can't see this. Put uh, your finger gun down. Am I the only one around here who gives a crap about the classics? <laughs> yeah. Okay, what would you give it? How many white Russians? I give you a five out of five white Russians. Really? Wow, I didn't know you liked it so much. Remember when we were watching it and oh, the credit you, scene mm-hmm. came on? And what did I say? You said something about you forget how much you love this movie. I said, I'm just really glad that I get to spend the next two hours watching this movie. That's right. You did say that. That was pretty funny. And maybe, maybe, uh, maybe as a nine, I'm a little bit more inclined to the dude's philosophy. Yeah. But there's something about, it's a movie that you can just sit with, you know, you can roll with and you know, that's going to take you to a lot of interesting places. And I don't know. There's, uh, there's something really interesting about it and comforting about it. I mean, but I, I think that after a rewatch, the, the amount of white Russian and the rating could go up because it did with other movies. But it's taken me that, you know, it's taken me several viewings to get there. Yeah. And I always say that the Cohen's filmography is one of the most rewatchable. Mm-hmm. I feel like it always gets better for me on a rewatch. Mm-hmm. Fargo's done that. Uh, no Country for Old Men has done that. Oh, yeah. I forgot they did that one. Yeah. You know, a bunch of them have kind of just appreciated in my in my uh, estimation over time. Did you like A Brother Where Art Thou the first time? You know, I think I've only seen it twice and I was kind of mixed on it. Mm-hmm. So I know the song at the time was very po- uh, popular. I mean, I I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. I liked that movie. See, and I don't, I don't like that style of music. Mm-hmm. Oh, and that's right. Yeah, I like bluegrass and stuff like that. I don't like so country, but I like I kind of like the movie despite the the music. That's pretty good for you. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, because you're not a bluegrass man. But a lot of interesting songs. But are you a Dapper Dan man? Okay. A Dapper Dan man. <laughs> I don't want fop. <laughs> <laughs> and but now's the part of the segment where Prim comes into the room. Yeah, she's uh, she's been pretty good so far, so she's just she's probably hanging by the Christmas around, tree, trying to find mm-hmm. some new space to nap. Christmas tree, which oh wait, never mind. Our next one will be Napoleon, not Christmas yet, but we will approach. Yes, yeah, so we are doing Napoleon Dynamite next, mm-hmm. another movie that Amanda has uh, that you have grown in your appreciation for. Mm-hmm. So we're doing that movie. Uh, next throwback. next episode and then hopefully before the end of the holiday season we will get to a couple of christmas movies yeah mm-hmm. we'll i don't to figure think out be yet. how we'll choose the christmas movies if you can think of a theme of how we should do two christmas movies mm-hmm. uh or have an idea of which ones we should choose you've maybe got a week or so to uh let us know email so, us at Scenes, scenes from, from a, a no, no 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 oh. no look it's been it's been like it's been like four weeks and i've forgotten <laughs> too long. my own email address 
podcast at scenesfromamarriage.com. You can email us and tell us what Christmas movies we should review. Or text us at our numbers that you know. Unless you're someone that doesn't, then sorry. Or DM one of us on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's all the time we have. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll be back next time with uh, Napoleon Dynamite. Uh, in the meantime, thanks for listening. and It we won't will... be long because we're all well, so never fear. That's right. We're going we're gonna to start churning them out. Yeah, we are. We're going to do it. All right. See you later, alligators. And remember, the dude abides. The dude abides. The dude. The dude. <laughs> it's comforting to know that he's out there taking it easy for all us sinners. <laughs> <laughs> that was really good. It's my best uh, my best impression. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>